Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week Kate and I are responding to a message that we received from Andy that stated she feels guilty sometimes and when she is into the competition mode with her horse. Um, she feels guilty because sometimes she thinks that he isn't as happy to be competing as she is. So, And she even sometimes feels that way when she gets into a solid training uh, regimen. So her question to Kate and I will kind of like, how do we as equine scientists justify equine sports? And I think she's talking about um, the current topic today is some people even feel like we shouldn't even be riding horses, much less compete. So I think before on the show, I've mentioned about economic value in an animal sometimes equals increased welfare. And while that welfare tends to be more physical and well taken care of, the um, metabolic health uh, sometimes isn't so great. Just turn them out in a pasture. So, you know, if you're riding your horse, you're feeding them, you're using that horse, I think it's good because working animals in training, in sports, I think it's actually healthier for them. And when things do have a value or a value system is in place, I think those horses are taken better. So I started my search, finding research about equine sports, what makes a healthy and a happy horse. And I did find a paper. It's how happy are equine athletes, stakeholder perceptions of equine welfare issues associated with equestrian sport. It's by Tamsin Furtado et al. And it's a 2021 paper. So I'm going to read the simple summary. And then I'm also going to read the abstract because it kind of gives you the same feeling because I have this feeling when I'm racing horses. Sometimes, you know, I love the sport. I love the competition. I love making a beautiful athletic specimen. But the fact that sometimes training and competing kind of conflicts with their natural behaviors, that bothers me. So here's the simple summary. The welfare of horses within equestrian sport is increasingly being scrutinized by both the public and those involved in the sector. To identify the main concerns and discuss the potential to improve the welfare of these equine athletes, a workshop involving participants from equestrian sports and animal welfare research was held. 
participants concluded that the main challenges in equine welfare arise from conflicts between competition demands and the basic needs of the horse. To enable those involved in equestrian sport to monitor the impacts of management, training, and competition on the welfare of equine athletes, a formal welfare assessment was discussed alongside interventions which would promote positive welfare across equine athletes' lives. Now, the international governing body for equestrian sports is the FEI, and the FEI states that the welfare of the horse must be paramount and never subordinated to competitive or commercial influences. Now, the aim of this study was to understand stakeholder perceptions of current welfare issues within equestrian sports. So they had 48 participants, 38 were um, in equestrian sports, and 10 were actually animal welfare researchers. So what those researchers came up with is a workshop, and the workshop had interviews and discussions and presentations that um, were kind of like focus group oriented. Now, all these discussions and comments and group meetings were all recorded, videotaped, and thematically analyzed. Now, thematic analysis is a method for analyzing qualitative data, and it involves reading through a set of data and looking for patterns in the meaning of the data to find themes. It's an active process of reflexivity in which the researcher's subjective experience is at the center of making sense of the data. Now in this study, they recorded Zoom videos, um, presentations, and then discussions were analyzed and a lot of the people analyzing these discussions were authors of this paper. So I just love this, Kate. It, when Andy uh, sent that message, I wholeheartedly, I feel what she's talking about because sometimes it, it is kind of a conflict in what we do with our horses and what in life they actually want to do and enjoy. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I was really interested in this because I'm currently sitting on the fence, so to speak, um, about, I suppose, not so much my opinions on um, when it comes to competing horses. I think I probably voiced this in other episodes. When it comes to competing horses, I think if the horse is suited to the competition, and enjoys the competition, enjoys the training, enjoys these aspects. Some horses thrive on it, and often those will also be the horses, well, more often than not, that are um, reinforced in a positive way or trained in a really positive way, and it's a pleasant, enjoyable experience. Um, I've, I, I'm kind of sitting on the fence personally with when it comes to leisure riding, 
But I think that's because with a lot of reflection, I've realized that my mayor never enjoyed being ridden. She really didn't enjoy it. And the more I think about it over the last, maybe probably since we started the podcast over the last two and a bit years, I'm thinking back on all the signs she exhibited to the fact that she was not enjoying that. Like we would say napping. I don't know if you use the same term, Nancy, if you're doing like schooling work and they're resisting what you're asking them to do. um, She would sometimes lie down in the school when you were on her back. Uh, She did that once or twice out hacking as well. She seemed to enjoy hacking more. Um, but yes, yeah, once she learned that trick to lie down and roll over, that was a game changer for her. Yeah. <laughs> but these were all really clear signs that she was not the pony for this. You know, this didn't suit her. It wasn't something that she really enjoyed. So I think since then, I've become a little bit more on the fence about whether I'll go back into leisure riding or not. Um, at the moment... It's not really on my radar, I suppose, is the best way I'd say it. So I'm very wishy-washy. And this paper was really good at kind of directing our thinking a little bit better for how welfare can still be preserved. But the way they talk about it in the paper, too, is that welfare often is the physical state of the horse. And now we're moving towards realizing that's not enough. And I think we're realizing that with all species, we have to consider their mental state. It's not enough to say they're physically healthy, but, you know, they stay in a stall, you know, 22 hours of the day. We only let them out for two hours or whatever the situation is. You know, we have to try and incorporate and make sure their mental health is at the forefront as well. And they said in the paper, too, that scientific thinking about welfare has advanced significantly over recent years. So they said biological functioning and natural lifestyle interactions with humans and the animals resultant mental state are all deemed important. And there has been a move towards providing animals with positive experiences and identifying signs of good welfare, as opposed to just avoiding negative welfare. So we're no longer just identifying those red flags and avoiding them. We're trying to pull up some green flags, right? Like, what can we do that's proactive to make good welfare even better? And I really enjoyed this paper. I thought it was really well done. I think all of the focus groups came back that they were saying there was just this conflict between the welfare of the horse, so to speak, and competing. I do think, but this is just my interpretation of this, in the paper, they said the term quality of life was considered preferable to welfare. And I think that's a monetary thing. Uh, Personally, but maybe I'm just being cynical, where they don't want to mention good or bad welfare, where there's a lot of money involved in competition horses, because it doesn't look good for it to be deemed bad welfare. So they wanted to use the term quality of life. Um, I think like we use quality of life all the time in veterinary because quality of life is the pinnacle of um, what we do. You know, if an animal doesn't have a good quality of life, we need to stop, we need to change, or we need to, 
you know, make things better for them, whether that's relieving pain um, or helping them in other ways. And I think in this way, just the way I read it and it came across to me was more, they were trying to avoid any negative connotations with welfare in the focus groups, not that necessarily the re researchers were trying to do that. Um, but I thought that was quite interesting because it is, it's so difficult because it is so entrenched in the animals needing to have a value. Like you said, Nancy, there's huge wastage that we see when like racehorses um, aren't able to race or they break a leg or, you know, they have some life altering change. That means they can't compete anymore. And now their value is gone. And that's where we yeah. see wastage start to come in. And we see it in lots of areas with horses. And it's something we want to try and avoid. So I just, I thought this paper was really interesting. Um, it, well, it is an open source as well, isn't it? It is. It's open access. Um, I encourage everyone to read it. And um, it really makes you think because it does encompass four disciplines from the FEI. And it, I think that would be eventing, show jumping, dressage, and endurance. But I also think a lot of this can apply to horse racing as well, because um you know, like the one eventer said, we have this element that we are pushing another animal to step up to the mark and make that win happen. There are moral grounds of do we really go on or don't we? I don't know. So even a high level eventer is having that conflict. And along with what Kate was saying, it seems like the um, higher the competition goes, it seems like the horse has better welfare, but that welfare isn't necessarily the mental aspect. It's the veterinary care, the chiropractic care, the physio that comes in. And, um, you know, it's a lot of money on the line. So that horse, the groom will know when a pimple appears on that coat. So there is a little bit more uh, where the horse is under the microscope, whereas the leisure rider or the lower competition rider, they may let that horse be a horse more so, but they also don't have where the saddle fits or um, they don't yeah. have the well-learned technique reading that in this about I mean that was su a, such a great way to relink that in and Nancy and I have done episodes on saddle fit and on bridle fit but that is a welfare issue in leisure horses you yeah. know having ill-fitting tack impinges their welfare yeah so I mean it, it's six in one hand half dozen in the other but um, this one show jumper said that she loves show jumping. She loves watching it. But if I go to a local British show jumping show, I sit there watching this uh, with my hands over my eyes because being educated does make you see stuff you wish you didn't see anymore. And you could just sit back and enjoy the sport. Yeah. And, you know, that's so much the more we know, 
uh, the harder it is for us just to look the other way or just sit back and make excuses. So also, um, Kate, you made a great point about the commercial versus the private entities that are involved because, you know, I've always kind of had an issue with thoroughbred breeding that it's like breed, 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 bring more horses into the world. And then, you know, you have excess horses because if they don't work out mm -hmm. or they're no longer part of the competition. So, and it's a commercial aspect of it that um, it's a processing plant, you know, and they get to the track and, you know, and it's just not in racing, it's in all disciplines where they're bred for high level competition and when that doesn't work out what happens to them and I think a lot of times the ones that are retired or are pasture pets um, they have worse welfare at times when they're just throwing out in the field and um, left alone and not really checked regularly or brought in and worked with and all that. And then what happens to them when they have to be moved to another facility? They're like wild animals. So, I mean, there's a lot of things in this paper that, that makes you think about the way we manage and work with horses and how competitive format being more commercially minded um, is what your goals are is to make that money and to be able to turn that horse into something. But, um, you know, I never let the money really rule my decision-making. Um, even if I have to find a good home for a horse and, um, you know, at the end of its career and or take it on at my farm, I always try to be responsible, but, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders in the equine world and not everybody does it that way and I don't even say I do it perfectly you know I sometimes just hope that I have found a good home for them and that you know I always include call me if things don't work out with this horse but you know it's um, it's a tough business I think there's two things there Nancy that were a great point the breeding one Mm -hmm. I mean, that is something that when you think about it, it's kind of crazy that we'll just pick two good horses, right? Whether they're eventers or show jumpers or dressage or racing, we'll pick like two of the top bloodlines and then we'll just keep trying to breed those together until one pops out that will have enough of the same genes and the drive and inkling to be like the parents. But like, if you look at like six siblings, like you're not gonna have six siblings that are all have the same skills in life or all have the same passions. And it is this thing where we're churning out a lot of offspring because we're trying to get that one. And I think there's probably ways, I mean, with science that we can do it a lot more accurately going forward. Whether we should meddle that much with it, I don't know. <laughs> Whether it's going to open another can of worms. But it is, unfortunately, a difficult thing. I think particularly with racehorses, because my thinking around this is that thoroughbreds 
you need to be educated to rehome or handle or look like have a thoroughbred farm. Like they're not the same. If you have experience with ponies or even if you've experienced with chill geldings in the past and you take on a thoroughbred, it's an entirely different challenge. It's a different skill set. And to novices, thoroughbreds can be very dangerous. So it can be hard from that point of view to be able to rehome them and get people who will be able to take them on. Um, the other point actually was about the researchers saying they were watching the show jumping, looking at the ground. And I actually went to the Dublin Horse Show the other weekend. So that's on in the RDS every year. And I went to the Grand Prix, which is a show jumping event. And it was really interesting to watch after obtaining this knowledge through doing the podcast for the last number of years, because there were a couple of riders, I think it was maybe only two riders, that when their horse knocked a pole, they didn't continue with the course. So it was in the jump off, it was the fastest around the course without knocking any poles. So the minute their horse knocked a pole, they just said, okay, I'm done. And they left the arena. And there was like mutterings from people in the crowd being like, oh, they should have finished the course. Like, mm -hmm. it's silly to like have come all this way because they traveled from other countries and not finish the course in the jump off. But I actually think that they, I mean, they had their own reasoning for doing it, but maybe it was that they thought, look, my horse after just banging a hoof or a leg off the pole, not the pole. I'm already out of the competition. I'm not risking them getting injured for the yeah. sake of just finishing a course. They can finish any course when we do training. Yeah. Um, so that was one thought that came to me at the time. I don't know if that was their thinking. I don't know if they were just throwing their toys out of the pram. But it is an interesting idea that, like, we do have to advocate that little bit more for them, especially in these competitions. And like that competition was big prize money, but wow. they, some of the horses like in the day before, I, I think it was the Aggie can cup. Um, first place was Sweden, I believe. Um, or Switzerland. I'm going to have to check that now. I think it was Switzerland. Second was Ireland and third was Mexico. And I thought to myself, like, that's amazing that these animals have traveled so far to compete. Yeah. And then in this paper, the welfare research group said the following. They said a lot is expected of the horses. The demands of the sport, being away from their social contacts, crossing the Atlantic. I guess they must be getting an adrenaline rush from some sorts of sports. But how do we know if they're really enjoying it? If we gave them the choice, would they choose to do that competitive sport or would they choose to stay in that field and prance around with their friends? And I have thought about this in the sense of acclimatizing horses, which I think is an area we could definitely look into for another research episode. Um, how they go about, like, you know, what's the optimum time to travel the horse prior to competing, if you're going from a really hot country like Mexico to Ireland, you know, what's that acclimatization period and how do you manage that effectively? But this paper, just in that one sentence, when they said 
being away from their social contacts. I just thought that was so interesting because I've never thought of that. And now you're putting them in a barn that they're not used to and they're surrounded by horses whose energy they're not used to, who are also out of sorts. Like it's probably a very high anxiety level in those barns. Maybe it's not. I mean, I'm obviously coming from an outside perspective, but it really just stood out to me. Like you're taking them away from their companions as well and their herd animals. And that's an important aspect of their welfare. Yeah, and that's why I think I liked um, figure one, if you read this paper, list all the focus group people and what their occupation is. So they had people from the crew of a horse in show jumping or eventing. They had riders. They had the welfare researchers. They had coaches and trainers. So there, the amount of focus group individuals that participate in the sports, it was pretty varied. And I liked when they said um, they described the difficulty of applying welfare assessment tools that are developed for the general horse population to competition horses. So taking like what did we talk about friends, forage, and freedom? And then that's a general horse population, what they want. And then applying it to competition horses, that is a little bit more difficult because they might get all the forage they want, but they sure as heck don't have friends and freedom. So I don't know. The more I thought on this, the more I thought, okay, we do have changes being made. We all know um, about the socially, the social license to operate, how outsiders of the equestrian world look at horse sports. And a lot of them, it's with a, a disapproving eye. Um, and because mainly you, it's hard for outsiders to understand um, dealing with the horses every day and their behavior and their needs. And then also as they age, the veterinary problems that can come up because, well, you have an overweight horse that you're not riding or you're not competing and, you know, problems can pop up, especially when you have them on a 20 acre grass field. So, I mean, there's a lot to it. And I think for me, the answer is to take the best care of the horse, you know how to, so you know what their needs are. So you try and like for me in racing, get them back to the farm environment a couple times a year, let them reestablish, they're a horse, let them have time off. And then when they're at the track, uh, give them daily exercise, if it's even if it's not a training day, and then provide them with hay and, um, you know, then the good health care that we know they get because um, there's that money potential. So they're groomed every day, their legs are gone over, they have great vet veterinary care. But I think there's a, a balance there. I think it's very difficult for me to have a horse stand in a stall 23 hours a day and only get out an hour a day. 
So anyway, I think there's got to be a balance. And as the message gets out there, um, I tell you what, if I didn't ride my pony, oh my God, she'd probably be 2000 pounds and she's only (laughs) 18 too, you know? hands high so I, mean, I don't know if we told the listeners at any point that um moana nancy's pony worked out how to get her grass muzzle off so she's yes well what she did is she ate the mouth hole bigger yeah. so you know it was on but every day that mouth hole got bigger and bigger And, you know, finally, we're done with the grazing muzzle because it was not doing its job. So um, we'll probably try it again next year, maybe a different style, a different brand. But, um, you know, I've got to exercise her and she's got to be ridden. She drives. And, you know, I just try and make it as enjoyable as possible for her. I know she's not always into it. You see that in her behavior. But most of the time, I can pretty much, if I vary it just subtly, it's enough to mess with her mind that she's kind of into it. I just don't think they're designed to actually, at least in America with our grass cow pastures and all that, to just be turned out and not ever be worked with. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed the Yeah, and I think there are a lot of... Sorry, Nancy, I think there was a lag there. Cut you off. No, no problem. Um, And no, I was just going to agree with you. And I think... There are a lot of Instagram accounts that you can follow where you see it being done really well and a lot of positive reinforcement accounts and showing ways to clicker train and things where the horses are clearly enjoying the interaction. And I think you can see that in certain sports as well. If the horse is suited to the sport, you can see the horses that have that really worried expression on their faces versus the ones that have that more neutral look when they're competing. And what I would say to our listener, Andy, that wrote in, thank you, first of all, because this has been a really interesting topic. Um, But there was one sentence in this research paper that I think might just help everyone coming away from this decide. Um, And it was one of the eventing um, focus group people said that none of us and none of our horses are happy all the time are having fun all the time. It's not just about being happy and having fun all the time. And we know that in our own lives, there's a balance. Like we have fun, we work, we do different elements. What we need to look at is if the horses are experiencing a life worth living over a period of time. Because as we know, not every day is going to be a perfect sunshine and roses day. There are going to be some days where the flies are really bad and the horses are peed off because they're being absolutely annoyed and senseless with them. Like these little things that we can't entirely control. But I think where we can control it, we should. And just in saying that they're not going to be happy all the time, my caveat is always that they should be pain-free all the time. So if your horse isn't happy competing or doing leisure, um, first of all, maybe just get a vet check and make sure that everything's okay. The other thing you can do if you're, you know, considering this leisure riding 
is record yourself. And me and Nancy have talked about this so many times anyway, how useful that is to look back on for a number of reasons. But now you could look back on it and look at your horse's facial expressions. Look at the grimace pain scale. See if they're exhibiting any of those expressions. See if they're exhibiting worried or anxious expressions. And then go from there in how can you, you know, work with either relieving pain. So if there's grimace pain scoring showing up in those playbacks, you need to check your tack. You need to check your horse. You need to make sure everything's fitting. You need to check yourself. You know, are you distributing your weight properly? Is everything lined up as it should be? And eliminate pain. If they're showing anxious facial expressions or worried facial expressions or just like a little bit of anxiety, can we go back to basics and retrain and positively reinforce and make this a nice experience? And then they're going to enjoy doing this schooling work or they're going to enjoy this exercise, especially if you have a horse like Nancy was saying, like Moana is a great example. They have to be exercised, you know, and it's the same with people. Some people love to exercise. Some people really hate it, but they know it's good <laughs> for them. So they have to do it. I think if Moana had the choice, she'd just lie in the pasture. I think so. if she yeah. could eat lying down, she probably would. I agree. But we have to <laughs> encourage that movement for good health. Yeah. And, you know, one good thing is, um, we've come a long way. I mean, w- what was it? The hyperflexion and dressage is now not allowed. Yeah. Nose bands they've done away with. Roll curve that we did an episode on. Yep. And so, and people are knowing that their feeding practices might be inappropriate for um, leisure horses and just an increased awareness of the ethy what is it um ethological needs of horses is out there more so i think there is a cautious optimism that we are on the road to thinking about the quality of life are the welfare issues it's just i think we all have to make the decision for ourselves and our horses and then go forward but i encourage everyone to enjoy their horses they're you know, that's part of the journey is that, um, you know, they're partners with us and, um, you know, don't give it up. I mean, you know, there is a happy balance there. I think that's really well said. We get to have this amazing experience. Yeah. And only, I mean, only people who have had that experience with the horse of connecting and bonding and speaking each other's language without speaking each other's language like that it's one of the most powerful and amazing feelings to be able to learn how to communicate with a horse um and it's something that like as you said Nancy it means that we've now moved forward so much so I think you're right I think you know we should take this research and look at our practices and just see how we can continue to push them forward um and to our to Andy as well that wrote in, you know, if you do decide that your horse isn't enjoying it as much as you are, it's not to say that there's not a horse that, you know, you'll be able to come across or train with or ride that won't enjoy it. I don't know if I've just said too many negatives now that that sentence is <laughs> negated, but 
you might find that if your horse doesn't enjoy it, you might come across a horse that does enjoy it and go from there. And, you know, it doesn't mean that your love for it will have to necessarily take a backseat um, would be my advice. But it was such an interesting paper. It's open access. I really recommend everyone reads it because they've got the quotes from um, the people in the focus groups, which are really interesting to read and see their ideas. And as Nancy said, you can see what their occupations were and what their involvement is in the horse industry. Yeah, and to Andy, too, I would say, you know, my pony riding isn't her most favorite, but driving she loves. So, you know, sometimes we just have to find what they want to do. And, um, you know, that's a big part of it. We've had plenty of racehorses that don't want to be racehorses. And um, I wanted to have a shout out. Um, first off, the Daniela, thank you for comment about the ECBM, which is a um, C6, C7 malformation. She listened to our uh, vertebral column episode from June, and she really enjoyed it. And she said it reminded her of um, the new findings in that ECBM and how I did read 68% of thoroughbreds are found to have lesions in their C6 and C7 uh, vertebra. So thank you for that um, encouraging note that you're enjoying the podcast and it makes you do further research. And then Arthur and Alexis, thank you for your comment on the massage series. And um, you said another fabulous episode. So um, we will definitely look into more of that type of um, episodes. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who has reached out. Um, and as usual, you can get us on um, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I'm going to throw in a little apology. I think I've done this in a number of episodes, but apology once again. We're a little bit behind on Instagram, or I am at least. And I will get that updated um, before the summer is out. We'll get the more, more posts up there. But I do check for your messages for research. So you can keep firing those in. Um, and speaking of actually the messages about enjoying the massage series, Nancy, you have an update for us on how the massage has been going with your herd. Yes, I decided to do all four horses in the massage research and we're on ending our second week. And um, after the first two massages, um, which was on the pony, and dreamer angel stopped weaving so i don't know if the environment changed in the barn or what happened but then he has had two massages i'm at the end of week two and i see a big difference in every horse so and he um, hadn't any massage at the point he stopped weaving no no now i only can observe him when I'm in the barn because I don't have cameras turned on or anything when I'm not in the barn. But when he weaves, he puts divots in the limestone that's at the base of his stall. And I covered those up 
with more lime and packed them down. And so far, those divots have not returned. So I don't think he's weaving. So I talked to a body worker who suggested that um, it's affecting his nerves, um, not only the physical massage, but the um, energy coming off from those other two horses. So there you go. Um, we're not. Were the other two either size of him in the stable? Yeah, Dreamer and him are on one side of the shed row, and then Moana, and then there's Mary's empty stall, and then Greta. Oh. So Greta is across from Angel. Dreamer is on the side, and so um, I don't know. I was really yeah. shocked when I realized. It's so fascinating. God, he's not weaving anymore. So because you were telling me like waiting to go out to pasture, he would be back for back forward weaving on those legs. Yep. Uh, every morning. It was and now stopped, he's just stopped. Just completely stopped and very relaxed and um, appears to like during his massage. I think I told you guys, I don't know if he'll even stand still for that hind end massage and stands better than any of the other ones i mean they all love it their heads drop um the tapote they all had to get used to i saw the head come up because i had never done that before and that's the cupping hands that are in rhythm and uh now they're used to it and no big deal but angel by far um is enjoying the massages better than than anybody i mean he used to not even want me to brush him he would be nipping nipping you know just incredible nervous energy and now that's all gone so um, the body worker said you the nerves play a big part in those yeah that energy in the barn yeah yeah so but anyway um we'll uh, take pictures and have the results. I've got a good chart going and it was just too much trying to do the um, dynamic mobilization exercises and the stretching ones and the massage. So all four will be in both studies. We'll start the three month study once this um, four week study is done. Now, this study was three weeks of a weekly massage a week off, and then you take pictures and write up an assessment. So that's what I'll do. And, and uh, it'll be done in just a couple weeks. We have one more week of massage and then uh, a rest week, and then we'll reassess everything. Amazing. What a positive yeah. outcome from it. I can't believe it. I, I just, I don't know what to think, but uh, I wish I would have known this because so many of the racehorses are so nervous and maybe um, under the influence of all the vitamins and minerals and sweet feed and all that, and just the keyed up environment from the track, maybe it, it stuck with him. Who knows? Yeah. I, I just don't know. But anyway, there you go, guys. There's your update. And uh, look for pictures once we're all done. And book in for a massage. I'm going gonna... <laughs> <laughs> to go for one soon. because, I mean, the benefits are unknown. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. This was uh, thank you to Andy. Great paper. And uh, we'll have the links on the homepage. 
Yes, thanks so much, everyone. And thanks, Nancy. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Take care.